whether locally in our backyard or around the world. Perspectives equips us to do just that. Classes begin next Sunday, and you can register now at perspectives.org. And today, church, we're continuing our series titled Emotional Roller Coaster. We're excited you're here, so let's open our hearts as we open God's Word. about uh, Howard Hughes, and we're probably all a little bit familiar with Howard Hughes. Uh, he was a big-time businessman who dabbled in oil, entertainment, and aviation. These pursuits made him a billionaire. So you would think that someone that is a billionaire would be like on a beach somewhere, right? Like drinking something that has little umbrellas in it. Uh, but that's not really the case with him. Uh, the last 25 years or so of his life, he was a poster child for worry and anxiety. Overwhelmed by fear that people were out to get him, he spent his last decades living in hotel rooms where he would rent out whole floors. Those closest to him say that he was so overwhelmed by worry and fear that he set pitch black rooms for long stretches of time. Uh, if you had to communicate with Howard, he had these rules, all right? So, and it was this. So, you had to uh, take several tissues with you, cover the doorknob with them, knock, and then open the door ever so slightly. Hughes required the process because he was exceptionally fearful of germs. His worry led to severe stomach problems, causing him to sit in the bathroom for hours at a time. In fact, one aide notes that Hughes once sat in the bathroom for 27 straight hours. On the rare occasion that Hughes would venture out of the hotel, he gave specific instructions to the driver. Only smooth roads were to be taken, and the driver was never to exceed 35 miles per hour. On the chance that they had to cross railroad tracks or some uneven part of the road, the driver would have to slow down to two miles per hour. So, for a man who seemingly had it, had it all, he had a lot of worry and anxiety that dominated his life. These are the exact same rules, by the way, that Frank has when we go see him. I think maybe, maybe he copied those. But, but anyway, so Guy had it all. The more stuff that he got, the more nervous he was and the more worry that he had. And there is a paradox between things and worry. And we're going to talk about those things. And we're going to look in Ecclesiastes 2, 8 to 11. I'll read that here in a second. Uh, when I was 
before I got to this church, I had been a worship pastor for a while. I was also a youth minister, and as I was a worship pastor, I had this guitar. It was a Taylor 110, okay? And I, I really liked this guitar, but there was another one that I wanted, and it was a more expensive guitar. It was a Taylor 714, and the day came, you know, when I finally could get that guitar, and I purchased it. So I purchased this guitar, and uh, I love it. I still have it today, and I still love it. I don't regret buying it, but we go to Florida, all right, and I take the guitar with me. My friend Gene is with me and his family, and we're all going to Florida together. I take my Taylor. He takes his Martin, which is another expensive guitar, and uh, we get to the hotel, and as we get there, Rebecca, his wife, she flings open the hatch, you know, of his van, and I watch his guitar fall from the top all the way, you know, to the bottom, and it it hits the bottom, and, uh, you know, Gene and I cried together, and it was sad, you know, but it, it was okay. It was scratched up, but then he took it up to the hotel room, and I guess when it fell, it must have knocked some of the, uh, the anyway, like it falls out, it, the case opens, and then the guitar falls out of the case onto the floor, and it busts, okay? So it was pretty sad, you know? I mean, this guitar, like, and once that happens, like, it's hard to fix them, you know? And so... So it was sad, and then that made me, I didn't enjoy the trip, it made me real paranoid that mine was going to be busted, you know, so the, the whole time, like, if I got it out to play and a kid came near me, I'd say, you know, just get away, and then, you know, my wife was, she said, hey, uh, how about next time you just don't bring that, you know, and I was like, oh, okay, I probably won't, so I, I went and got, like, something that was cheaper that I could carry around, but I got this thing, and it seems like things can cause us to worry even more, Right? Uh, and we're weird about our stuff. Americans, we like our stuff. We have a friend, and this friend has like a whole room, and it's organized, but man, she has a whole bedroom filled with like this stuff, you know, that maybe she doesn't use, or uh, she might not see it, but it can't be used as a bedroom because the stuff is there. And then the same friend, one time, she's like, I need to go get something, I need you to help me, and she had a storage unit, and it had stuff in it, you know, and, and we will take like our expensive car and we'll put it out in the snow and then our junk we'll put in the garage, right, to make sure that it's okay. I mean, it's, it's kind of, we just shouldn't do that. I mean, Henry Ford concluded, he said, I was happier, it's Henry Ford, he said, I was happier when doing a mechanic's job, right, than he was when he was a successful millionaire. Multi-millionaire W.H. Vanderbilt once said, the care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. Multimillionaire Andrew Carnage once observed that millionaires seldom smile. Solomon, he was a man whom some regard to be the richest human in history, had this to say. So in Ecclesiastes 2, 8 to 11, it says, I amass silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. Acquired male and female singers and harem as well the delights of a man's heart. It became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and all my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward of all my toil. Yet when I survived, all my hands had done and what I toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. And uh, so you see Solomon, wise man, a rich man, says that after all that, like, it was all meaningless. 
Don't you see that things, earthly treasures, could be all the toys that you could buy? You know, it could even be relationships. It could be, uh, you know, you might think, hey, one day I'm going to be married and, you know, things are going to get better. Or you might think, hey, one day you might be married, we're going to have kids and then there'll be no worry, right? I mean, that's kind of the opposite, but... Uh, we all have this place that we want to be, I think, and we, we visualize that, and we think if we could just get to this spot in life, then we could sit on a beach and drink stuff that has little umbrellas in it, right? I'm talking about Sprite with a little umbrella. Like, so, uh, all these things don't eliminate worry. They only serve to heighten it. This lies the great paradox of Americans we're regarded as one of the richest nations in the world, yet issues like worry and anxiety and depression are on the rise among us. Stress and anxiety will affect over 19 million Americans this year. 33% of Americans will suffer job burnout in their lifetime. 70% of Americans will find themselves unhappy with their job because of stress at some point. 73% of Americans worry especially over money. Uh, and when we're looking at Solomon, we remember that just how rich he was and all the things that he had. And he was still, he said all that was meaningless. When I was at Tulip Street, there was a pastor there. His name was Darren. And Darren was like our, kind of like our outreach pastor. So he, if someone came to the church and they needed something, like they might say, hey, I can't pay my water bill and I really, I just need some help. Darren was awesome. Like, Darren did not just want to give them money. He wanted, to be, he wanted to be involved in their lives, okay? So Darren would say, look, I can, we could probably do that, but what I want you to do is come back, and I want to, I want to help you make a budget. I, want to, I just want to see what you're spending your money on, and we want, to, we want to help you. And his office was right by mine, so I would hear him communicating with these people a lot. So he would go through their budget, and he would say, hey, like, seriously, I remember him saying to a person, hey, I see that you have, like, a Macy's card, you know, and it seems like you use that a lot, and you, you purchase a lot of things, but you can't pay your water, you know, so, so that would be something that you would want to, like, maybe get rid of or not use. Uh, there was another time where uh, someone had, like, cable, you know, and cable could be expensive or dish TV, and he said, hey, I noticed you have dish, and he'd say, I noticed there's these few things going on. And, uh, you know, we want to help you, but I also want to help you survive in life. And these are things that, you know, probably just right now you shouldn't have. And uh, sometimes people would say, well, I'm just not going to get rid of it. And then Darren, in a nice way, would say, well, I'm just going to have to tell you no. And uh, we will do that, I think, Americans. Like, we will spend money on things that uh, we don't need and sacrifice things that we do need, right? And that, that definitely causes worry. In the book A Millionaire Next Door, it's a good book. They interviewed lots of millionaires, and they found out different things about them. One, when they interviewed them, and they asked a millionaire about buying a car, that would seem like that would be an exciting thing, right? A millionaire is going out to buy a car, and you could like picture in your head what kind of car that would be. But this is what they found. So millionaires, when they went and bought cars, they rarely spent over $13,000, and they bought a four-door sedan. It's exciting, right? I mean... Uh, when they would go and buy a suit, what they found was like millionaires rarely spent over $300 on a suit, okay? That's why they're millionaires, right? And then, then they asked 
like, well, who's buying these $2,000 suits? And they interviewed different people, you know, and it was people that made far less money that couldn't afford them. They were the ones buying those suits. Uh, who's buying all the expensive cars? They say it's people, in the studies they did, it was people that made around fifty to $60,000 a year were buying, like, Corvettes, you know. Uh, so the guys that could buy them didn't buy them. The people that probably shouldn't buy them, they would buy them, and we do that. And we will buy stuff, and we'll worry about the stuff, and then we'll worry about the debt that we got in to buy the stuff, right? It just causes a lot of stress, and things, buying things is not going to lead to no worry or peace. That isn't a, that's not, not going to happen. It's, it's a God thing. It's a relying on Him thing, you know, and, and your heart's desires giving to Him, like what He wants, those are the things that are going to cause us not to worry. So, the point two, what's the problem with worry? Well, Matthew 6, 25 and 26 says this. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what, will you, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than them or than they? Jesus specifically says we shouldn't be anxious about our life. He's hinting at one of the major problems when it comes to worry. At the end of the day, my worries, my anxieties are all about me. My world, my desires, my longings. Worry is me-centered. The worry that Jesus speaks of in our text here knows nothing of self-sacrifice, nothing of laying down one's life for the good of others, nothing of humanity. And what we are worried about, we worry about things sometimes, right, that, that will never happen. Uh, when I was young, my youth minister was named Anthony Moore. I showed you a picture of him. Now, I remember talking to Anthony because he was kind of my mentor, and Courtney and I, you know, at that time we were dating, and I said to Anthony, I said, uh, once, you know, Courtney and I, we, we get married, and, and we have kids, and we have a house, it's just, you know, us and God and kids and friends in the church, you know, I'll have no worries, things will be smooth, and, and I want to say, like, I really didn't know how to worry until I had kids, right? Now we have five, and I can't sleep at night sometimes, because like, I, I just worry about them. And I was so wrong about that. Have you ever, like, looked at a picture of yourself? Okay. So I remember, like, when I was younger, like, thinking, man, I am so fat right now. And then I remember when I was older, I'll look at that picture and I'll think, man, I wish I looked like that. You know, and sometimes I look back to when I would worry, like, at this, this statement that I made when I was younger, I think, what in the world did I have to worry about? I shouldn't have had a care in the world. Worry is always going to be there. Like, it's, it's not going to go away. We just have a choice of the matter and what to do with it. So when I was younger, I met my wife. She liked me, and, uh, and I liked her, kind of, you know. And I played hard to get for a little bit. And, but I was not the fine-looking gentleman that you see today. Uh, I was a little bit different. I, so I, I have both my ears pierced, okay? I could probably put earrings in them. I don't, and I probably won't, you know, uh, but I could. And then I also, when I met her, when I met my wife, had my ears pierced. I was 20, and uh, 
I had, don't judge me on this, okay? So it was a thing then, and it was new, and my, one of my friends went and got it done, and I did it too. I had a bar, like, put through my tongue, all right? Well, so I had my tongue pierced. And, uh, and if you rock that, you go ahead. That's fine. Like, but for me, like, I just, I remember it, it, this, I don't know. I don't even know why I did it. Like, my tongue swelled up. I had to eat little Debbie's for a week because I couldn't hardly, like, <laughs> One time I actually caught the tongue ring and it twisted my tongue and it was, it was terrible. So I, so I finally took it out. But, but when she met me, I had this kind of stuff going on. Now I was a Christian, I love Jesus. But, but her parents, when they looked at me, they, they saw something different. So Courtney had this conversation with her mom and it went as follows. Okay, She said, uh, she said Mom, I, I really like that Chris. And she goes, you know what? I don't like his piercings. And then she said back to her, she said, so mom, dad's ugly. And then her, and then, and I don't even know why you'd say that. And then her mom said back to her, I know he's ugly. I married him. And I was like, so they're having this conversation about me and like, and I just, you know, even when we started dating, like I had this worry that her parents were just not, you know, going to, they just weren't ever going to love me or like me, you know, or, or, you know, because, and even one time I got my hair highlighted and her dad, he's grown a lot. He would never say this now. I got my hair highlighted and then he told Courtney, he was said, I thought that boy got saved, you know, and uh, she said, I can't believe he'd do something like that, you know, and he's a masculine man, he would never dye his hair, he did get a perm once, but like he wouldn't, he wouldn't ever do that, so, so anyway, I would worry about this, even when we were dating, I would worry, and I would just worry that, you know, it wasn't going to work out, because her parents weren't going to like me, they came to their senses, like they love me now, but, you know, I remember the only way I could get away from the worry, seriously, was to go to Paley Westland Church, that where I was a youth minister first, and just just really work for God and get my mind off myself. I mean, I would think about this a lot, and it was very self-centered. I mean, I would miss out on opportunities, right? And it would put me in a dark place. But when I got away and I focused on Jesus and I focused on other people, I mean, that's when that's when I started to feel better about life, when it wasn't all about me, but it was about other people. And then I started realizing through prayer, you know, that, hey, if, if you know, she, if this doesn't work out, like, I'm going to be okay. Courtney's going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. And uh, when we worry about things, like, a lot of times it can be self-centered. It can really be focused on us. Really, we need to be focused on things of the kingdom. So, in point three, overcoming worry, Matthew 6 26 and 30 says this, and we read some of this already, I'm going to read it back. It says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And Jesus makes an argument here of the lesser to the greater. He begins with the lesser when he says that his, the heavenly father takes care of birds and grass, and then he moves to the greater, which is you and I, and he says, you know, if he does that, don't you think he's going to take care of us, us who are, we are made in his own image? If he takes care of them, he's going to take care 
of us. My daughter Chesney got a dog named Ace, and I showed you a picture of Ace not that long ago, but, but we have dogs and we have cats, you know, and the, the dog acts like he loves us and the cats act like they're annoyed by us, and like we, but we take care of these things, like we feed them and we give them water, and like if it storms, we bring them inside. Could you imagine if our kids, like if they watch that and they think, hey, uh, I see that they feed like these animals, but, but I'm just afraid they're not going to feed me? I mean, the kids that we love more than almost anything. I couldn't imagine. And I wonder if God sees us like that. Like, God takes care of all these creatures. And then sometimes we really just, we worry, don't we, about what's going to happen to us. You know, sometimes we worry politically, like, what's going to happen. And I mean, there's so much worry and dread you know that we have sometimes and God is saying Jesus is saying hey like God has this like he can take care of you and notice how Jesus refers to God throughout that text he calls him our heavenly father the image that he cast us as God's children we are children aren't prone to worry because they assume their parents will take care of them no child thinks, how's the mortgage going to be paid? They give no thought to whether or not they're going to eat or how their athletic fees are going to be paid. They know that their parents are going to take care of it. And uh, my kids, I don't know how much money they think that I have, but like we're looking for a house, you know, and we were driving the other day and there's like, seriously, it's like a mansion. And they were like, we want that. And I was like, what do you want me to, it's not even for sale. You want me to pull up with some gold and like ask them if they're going to sell it? You know, I mean, but they think that, like, I could buy that, you know, and I thought, well, what do you, I mean, I can't, but they think I can. And that when they look at me, like, they must think that I'm, you know, like a kid looks to their dad, like they think they can do anything. I mean, if there were five ninjas that broke in our house, they think that I could take them. I can't, but they, they would think that I can. But the thing about God is this, like, he, he can no matter what we're going through, like, he can handle it. He's that rich. I mean, he owns everything. He's that powerful. And we forget, and I think we just lose that sense of awe of who he is and what he can handle. Your heavenly father, like, he knows your needs. Do you think a layoff at work, that surprises him? Do you think a health scare caught him off guard? He, he knows, he knows, and he can handle it. I was uh, working at a church, and it wasn't this one, and I'll just say this, not the one that you're thinking, if you know churches that I've been at, but I was at a church, and uh, the pastor and I at this church, even though we're friends, I mean, still today, but like, we weren't meshing very well, you know, and it just got to a point where I was, I was a little bit down, and I didn't want to be there. And uh, it really, this sent me into almost some depression, you know. And I, I remember praying to God about it and just thinking, like, how can I look at this? Maybe I'm an issue or maybe, you know. And finally, one day, it just got so hard, I prayed, God, could, like, could, you just, could you just remove me from this place? Could you just take me out of here? And that day, I'm not joking, this very day, I'm not making this up, uh, 
my wife, like she texted me and she got a text from Amanda Spaulding and it said that uh, they needed help at the pregnancy center, you know, that she was working at for like some public speakers. And that very day, like I called there and I, I ended up getting the job, but I mean, it was so amazing, you know, that how, and does God always do that? He, his timing is his timing, but man, that worked so perfect. And I, I just, I remember like thinking, why was I so worried? And I can look back on that now and I can tell you like, it, this, it doesn't scare me. Frank could come down here right now and say, you are fired. He does that every day to me and still show up the next day. But if he did that, I, it, I, I'd be okay. Like, I know God will come through. I, I'm not worried about that because I've seen it before. And like in the victories we talked about, we want to, we want to celebrate those victories, right? That way we know that God has this. He can do it. And I don't know what your worry is today. I don't know what you're going through. And some of what you're going through, I've not been through. But I know God. And I know that he can handle whatever it is you have. And I know that he can walk with you. So today, like if you, as Ryan's lead in worship, if you want to pray, like there will be somebody in the back. And they will pray for you. If you want to grab a friend and you want this to go back and they can pray, like you can just pray with them. But no matter what it is, no matter what you got going on, like God knows he's big enough to handle it. You don't have to worry. You don't have to carry that by yourself. He can do it with you. So I'm going to pray. Ryan's going to lead us in a song. And if you need to pray, just remember someone's back there and they can pray with you. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this day, and we thank you that you are always with us. We thank you that you know everything that goes on about our life, that nothing surprises you. Father, that, that you understand what we're going through, that you lived here on earth and you've been through things so you can understand. Father, I just pray for these that are here today that no matter what they're going through, they don't look at it and they don't try to go through it alone and they don't say, this is just, this is just too big, but they know that, that you're greater and you really are bigger than anything that we could imagine. Father, you are a wonderful father. You are an intelligent father. And we are so thankful for your presence. For it's in your name that we pray, amen. Amen. Let's be standing together.